to Direct Impact, where we discuss the various ways our mental health and quality of life intersect. I'm your host, Andrea Epting, licensed professional counselor, master's addictions counselor, and certified sex therapist. Think of our time together as focused self-reflection mixed with insight, passion, and empowerment. Now, take a deep breath. Now let's dive in and see what impacts you today. Hey friends, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for joining us for the Direct Impact Podcast. We are grateful to have you with us today, and we are going to be talking about families and the negative impact of untreated mental illness and addictive diseases has on the family system as a whole. Now, I know that we have talked about this in past episodes, which we will link you to in our show notes, but we wanted to continue the conversation because we think it's very relevant, thought-provoking, and frankly, we could have a hundred episodes on the topic and still have plenty, plenty more to discuss. Um, It's uh, just a really important thing, I believe, that we do a deeper dive into understanding. And on this podcast, we really like to be hard-nosed about looking at systems that are put in place in our current society, especially in the States, and how some of these systems aren't really helping and sometimes are directly hurting the process of recovery and dealing with unaddressed trauma in certain systems. One of those systems is the family system and kind of where are we lacking in school system and community and the healthcare system and all of these different areas where we could be really reaching the family in a non-intrusive, non-shaming way to look very honestly at the problems within the system. We tend to look away and we tend to let the family's dysfunction and toxic shame kind of be the leader and be the guide. And I feel like we need to find a better way to treat our families in need. Kelly Long is with us today, and she's going to be part of this interview process or discussion that we're having. And I'd just like to welcome her to the show. How are you doing, Kelly? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Wonderful. So we were discussing a little bit before the show started just about toxic shame and how dysfunctional families are rooted in toxic shame. Now, there's been a lot of amazing people doing great work on the topic for decades. John Bradshaw, Dan Siegel, I mean, just a a lot of people who have really dove into the topic. So definitely look them up. But let's do our best to talk about it today. So Family systems, we talked in a previous show about family roles and the different roles that people play in their family of origin and how we can start to let those roles be masks that we wear. They can become part of our lived experience and identity and negatively impact pretty much all relationships that we go through in the future because we don't know how to be our authentic self. We talked about the addicted family member, the co-addict or the codependent. We talked about the hero role, the mascot. We talked about the lost child and the scapegoat. Now I just want to talk about how all of those roles are rooted in toxic shame. 
So help me with this, Kelly. What are some questions that we think our listeners want to have answered today? Well, I feel like just alone, you know, with my own clients, the biggest thing is, you know, their shame comes from these maybe expectations that they have from their family and how they were raised. And I guess the first thing is, what do you do with that? How do you get beyond what, you know, how you were raised and what those expectations were to be able to accept where you're at today? Mm. In my professional experience, one of the most challenging things about what you just mentioned is helping people through the toxic shame just enough to understand that talking openly and honestly about their experience is not blaming a major caregiver or somebody that they love or have some kind of alliance or loyalty to. So just getting them comfortable in that therapeutic relationship and having those that open dialogue for someone to really talk through their story in an open and honest way without shame, then they can start to have a conversation with their therapist about the ways that they were harmed, the roles that they played, and where toxic shame took root. So you do start identifying unhealthy family alliances covert or overt abuse or trauma and things of that nature, then you can start addressing where toxic shame originated. And usually every single family member, mainly the major caregivers, both brought toxic shame into you know, their original relationship. And so, of course, it's going to filter down to the children. And helping people understand that 90% of abuse, overt or covert, is unintentional and even done sometimes with the best of intentions. But major caregivers, parents, they're bringing their own stuff into the parenting process. So the best thing we can do for our children is to do our own work and look at our own family of origin experiences and any toxic shame we're carrying. So I think first, just opening up that dialogue, giving them a safe, secure attachment to you and space to share their hurts and where habits and dysfunction might have come into play. You know, I feel like there is a really important part that you said there, you know, just being able to share your story, which, you know, especially here in the South, you don't talk about those things outside of the house, right? You know, what happens at home stays at home. And I think, you know, we have to find a way to be able to make it safe for them to have that story and be able to walk through that story. But there are so many people that were raised in that culture that you just, you don't discuss those family things outside. So how do you get to a place where that in and of itself is okay. Mm -hmm. And that's where I just, I really have to come in and advocate for trained professionals um, coming in and telling your story in a safe, non-judgmental, unbiased environment with a trained professional who's has their own supervision. They're not carrying a bias into the room and into that therapeutic experience or relationship. That's transforming in and of itself. So when you start to, if you're a shame-based human and you walk into that space and you start to feel safety and security and you start sharing, kind of dipping your toe in the water and you see that it's met with no judgment and that the person sitting across from them is really just there for them and the only want there is just a a shared mutual desire to get them to reach their goals then they start opening up and sharing more and more honestly but i mean between 
me and you and the however many hundreds of people listening, I believe that I, I have some clients that I've been working with for almost a decade who still probably have a piece of their story that they have not felt comfortable sharing. So, I mean, we never know. Sure. We can only invite them to participate. And it's a privilege to be part of that. So again, I am a huge proponent as a psychotherapist. I'm very biased in this, but finding somebody that you have a good fit with and you feel some initial safety or comfort. Sure. Maybe not security (laughs) yet, but finding a trained professional with those qualities that you can start to unpack your story and do a deep dive into um, some toxic shame that you might be carrying. Sure. Mm-hmm. I know one of the things, you know, you said is you got to be ready to dive into all of that. And I guess, you know, a good place to start is how do you identify when that shame is a problem? Mm, okay. Well, one of the ways as a therapist, I listen to the language and some oftentimes an individual's limiting beliefs will come out through their language. I mean, in the first session, first two sessions. And so hearing words like, I need to, I should, instead of I could, or if there's an option, or saying I have to, instead of I get to, (laughs) Um, just paying attention to that language that the person is playing internally, cognitively, this is playing constantly in their head, you know, that if it doesn't come from family of origin by now, it is ingrained, and there is some shame, some toxic shame taking place, taking root in the individual that needs to be addressed. So I pay attention carefully to the language. I pay attention to their relationships, their attachments, and their responses to certain cues. Going along with the polyvagal theory and all of that, you know, when they're emotive, what are their triggers? You know, what is this rooted in? So that's really where I start in my therapy of identifying, okay, there might be might be some unaddressed trauma that we need to look at. Perhaps they came from a family of origin, or honestly, you can just look at their intake packet. We, we ask family of origin questions in their intake packets, and it's pretty eye-opening just when they say they came from an alcoholic or addicted family system, either chemically or behaviorally. If people deny that, I probe a little deeper to see if there might be um, some behavioral addiction going on, some codependency, some food and mood disorders, some unaddressed mental illness, or if it could be sex addiction, things of that nature, rage addiction. So oftentimes there might not be chemicals involved, but the family members still feel like they're walking on eggshells. They still don't feel safe. They don't feel secure. They feel like the environment is volatile. They're paying very close attention to body language and what they can pick up to see if they're safe and secure in that environment. If it's going to be a good day or a bad day, what does their mood need to be? All because there's just unaddressed addiction and dysregulation in the home. Sure. I know, you know, the whole point of this podcast is to address, you know, what these things look like on the family system and the different areas of our lives and the impact of, you know, not addressing these things in a, you know, proper manner, timely manner. Would you say that, you know, something like shame, leaving that unaddressed, is that where you get into some of those more unhealthy mental health disorders or even the addictions? Absolutely. We believe in the realm of addictions, that 
all addictions are rooted in toxic shame. So to not treat the shame, I mean, people are not going to get better. I mean, you can use cognitive behavioral therapy all day long, but if you're not targeting the trauma, if you're not targeting, I mean, at the right time, of course, you can't just dive into trauma work, but if you're not looking at the toxic shame for which the addiction cycles and spirals around, if you're not directly treating that, the person does not get better. They might for you know short periods of time, even you know three to six months, but eventually the toxic shame is going to take hold. It's very deep-rooted. So to not address toxic shame is to kind of put a Band-Aid, I think, on somebody's needs. Sure. You know, for a lot of our listeners, this might be the first time they're hearing, you know, some of these things that we're discussing. So for today, for example, with shame, how do they identify that in themselves to know that it's something that they need to seek professional help for? The way that it's been described that I have found just very helpful in identifying it in myself and helping clients identify it in themselves is, you know, it's kind of feeling like somebody's going to find out. Someone's going to find out about you. They're going to find out that you are flawed. You are defective. You are wanting. You're not measuring up or good enough or that you're truly a failure. You're just a fake or a fraud or a phony. And um, but when you ask the person who who's going to find out, they don't know who. <laughs> It's just toxic shame that's deep rooted that is signaling to them, telling them that, you know, they're not safe, they're not going to make it. So targeting that and helping people recover from toxic shame is what it's all about. It's what it's all about. So I think also helping people understand the difference between healthy guilt, shame and toxic shame. So Guilt is a wonderful thing. We want guilt. We want to foster healthy guilt and accountability, which says, guilt says, oops, I made a mistake. That that hurt myself. That hurt somebody else. I do not want to do that again. That does not feel good. I feel ashamed. Okay, that is very different from toxic shame. We want healthy guilt because it says, oh, I made a mistake. I can correct. I can change. My next course of action is going to look different. Trial and error, right? We, we need to make mistakes to grow and change and develop. So that's great. But when it becomes toxic shame, it doesn't say I made a mistake. It says I am the mistake. I am the problem. I am the broken one. And so when you start to help people sort through that and how dysfunctional long term it can become to have those thought processes going on all day, every day. I think they they really get behind the process and they want to dive into it with you. So last question, Kelly, you think we have something else that our listeners are interested in? And again, guys, I really recommend professional care and counseling because mental health matters. Mental health is as important, if not sometimes more important than our physical health, our nutrition, you know, what we consume, our body movement, all of these things are so important, but let's not ignore our mental health. So if you feel like you've been carrying toxic shame, if you feel like you came up in a dysfunctional family system and it's time to address these things because they keep showing up in unwanted, sometimes paralyzing ways, please reach out. You know, there's great organizations and I know that you can find a counselor that best suits you. 
Yeah, just one last thought, you know, to leave our listeners, you know, with the tools to be able to tackle this and find some help on their own. Is there anything you would recommend they look for in professional help? Or do you think this is kind of, you know, a baseline that most trained professionals should be able to handle? I believe that most trained professionals, licensed professional counselors, clinical mental health professionals, licensed clinical social workers would be equipped to identify and effectively treat toxic shame. I feel like master's addictions counselors dive into it a little bit deeper because when there's addiction present, it's very obvious that that's one of the things that we need to dive into. But absolutely, I feel like any trained professional who understands trauma and understands you know, the negative aspects of carrying toxic shame and trying to come out of a dysfunctional family system would be able to effectively help somebody overcome this. Okay, great. Well, I so appreciate you having me to have these conversations. I think part of this is, you know, just breaking down the barriers to these mental health topics so people know and they have the knowledge at their fingertips. Absolutely. And that's what we're here to do. So thank you guys so much for showing up and listening and we'll see you soon. Heads Up Guidance Services, or HUGS, is a nonprofit organization dedicated to removing all barriers to quality professional counseling services. At HUGS, all motivated individuals, couples, and families can access the support they need and deserve in an outpatient setting. They recruit dedicated, compassionate, and socially conscious professionals who volunteer their time and specialized skill pro bono. HUGS doesn't work with third-party payers, insurance companies, or government dollars. Rather, they operate entirely with the support of people just like you. To help support HUGS, visit www.headsupsavannah.org. Thank you for dropping in. Snaps to you because you have made a direct impact by listening to this podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media and stay tuned every week for a new episode of Direct Impact with Andrea Epting.